Well, don't stop clapping now, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my soul, y'all. Oh, man, praise the Lord. Wasn't that great? I mean, the whole service. Tremendous young people. Our young people are in children's church the next two weeks. They're practicing uh, their Bible teaching skills for Mission Arlington. They'll be going during spring break. You ever heard of young people giving up their spring break to go do mission work? And uh, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, not all young people are bad. There's some of them that are good. I don't know where they are here this morning. But no, here they are, here they are right here. They're good. Praise the Lord. Uh, boy, I, I want to say thank you too for uh, just, uh, there's so many things that go on that no one knows behind the scenes. But uh, this church has a tremendous security uh, ministry. Uh, I'm just telling you, if, if you hear gunfire, the best thing you can do is just get out. Because there are folks here that can handle the situation. You just stay out of the way. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel better. Figuring that most of them are going to be aiming up here anyway. Uh, so I, I praise the Lord for our security. And our first impression teams, man, praise God. I mean, I could go on and on. You, you, you're just, man, you got a heart to work, and I praise the Lord. And then uh, thank you for continuing to pray for me. My arm is a little bit better today, and uh, I, I think maybe I finally got enough trauma doll or whatever that's called to, to kind of ease it up. I was in, I need to apologize, I was in uh, Super One yesterday getting some chicken and, uh, for the funeral uh, lunch after uh, uh, at three yesterday, and and uh, the lady saw me, and she said, come on around the side. I, she knows me, and so anyway, I went around there, and then all of a sudden, I heard this guy hollering, he stole my buggy. He stole my buggy, and uh, I'd walked by and just picked up his buggy and just went on down and loaded my <laughs> chicken in that buggy. He, he had a box of vanilla wafers, and I had a good $30 umbrella. I said, sir, you came out on the short end on this deal. You'd have kept your mouth shut. You could have had a good umbrella out of this. But uh, do know that I, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm trying to get. And then do know that I am always, uh, the word I'm looking for, accountable uh, to my wife and family. Where, where are the Comptons at in here? The Compton, there, there you are right here. I need to apologize to y'all. And uh, Tristan was the one that was baptized this morning. I got home for dinner last Sunday. And man, it's bullet, bullet, bullet from all of my family. Said, you ask, who do you know best? Who do you know best? Who do you know? And you didn't ask the Comptons who they knew best. And there was nobody standing. I said, there was enough of them in the family. Don't worry about it. But I am sorry. When you see me doing something wrong on this pain medicine, just speak up. Amen. All right. Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. If we continue through the book of Joshua, dealing with how to walk in victory. It's not enough just to cruise through the world. Don't tell me that Jesus died on Calvary, shed his blood, so that you could just get by. That's not what God did. God gave us not only life, but abundant life. And we need to walk in victory and 
And, and literally what he's doing here in chapter 4, as I think about this subject, teaching our children the truth, uh, he's literally saying, Joshua is saying to a mom and a, a dad, papa, big daddy, mama, papa, granddad, whoever you may be, he's saying there are others who are going to come behind you. And uh, they're not, they're not uh, going to know about the Lord and what He's done unless you teach them. They won't know the mighty works unless you tell them. They're not going to know the way God uses us unless we show them. I so enjoyed what Brother Aaron did with our children this morning. Well, I'll tell you what, those children, it will be ingrained in their mind, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Man, have mercy. He, he, look at Joshua 4. If you would stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Joshua 4, 1, it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, one of every tribe. Command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood, stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Joshua called the twelve men who had prepared the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And he said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. Take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this might be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying what mean ye by these stones then ye shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel then if you would uh, skip down to verse 20 and those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came out over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. God, would you bless the reading of your word? God, would you bless the time we have to study it and to look into it? And Lord, may, the, may just the Holy Spirit take what is said. Lord, I'm human, I'm flesh. I, I, I'm, I'm so, uh, Lord, have no, uh, Lord, I'm just weary. I just ask you to take my voice and use it to honor and glorify you. In the name above every name we claim, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. He's saying here, I want you to inform your children. Now that's important when he says that because he's not saying it's the church's responsibility to inform your children. He's not saying it's the school's responsibility to inform your children. He literally is saying, Mom and Dad, it's your responsibility to make sure your children know about Jesus Christ and know about what God has done in their life. What meaneth these stones? We're to live different. We're to live distinct enough that our kids literally would come up to us and say, Daddy, well, why do we live the way we live? 
Why do we do this over here and we don't do this over here? It, 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 granddad, why, why? It looks like you've set some stones in your life. And, and the question is, what do these stones mean? I love getting in the car this week. <clears throat> Little Isabel, uh, she always tries to stump me. She said, do you know who George Washington was? And I said, I sure do. Did you know him? I said, no, I, I didn't know him. <laughs> That's a four-year-old. I said, where'd you hear George Washington? Over at the day school. I want to tell you, folks, we need to teach our children. These stones are to be a memorial. And we need to set some stones in our lives and in our families that our kids can look at and say, well, why do we do what we do? Why do we not do what we do? I love Washington, D.C. It's one of my favorite places. It's history everywhere, and I love it. I love there going to the Washington Monument, taking both of my kids there and, and family. And they, they're not as hip on history, but, it, you know, I try to cram it down their throat anyway. But that Washington Monument, 555 and 5 and 1 8 inches tall. I mean, it is something to behold. If you've never seen it, you really ought to go to Washington, D.C. I mean, it was built as a memorial, and it's no, it's no uh, accident that our first president was general of the army because this nation was founded on war and problems and situations here. So it was General George Washington through the hardships and through the troubles. And then you can slip around and there's the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, boy, what a tremendous memorial that is to Abraham Lincoln. On one side is his Gettysburg Address uh, imprinted there. And on the other is his second inaugural address. And uh, he was not really that popular while he was president. Uh, so much so that even shortly after that, an assassin took his life. Then you walk around a little bit and, and discover the Korean War monument. It's a monument that, that honors 52,000 American men and women who gave their life to Korea. And then, of course, there's the Vietnam Memorial, and it certainly wasn't a popular uh, war at all, yet more than 58,200 American men and women gave their life. Let me tell you something, folks. You listen to me. The greatest export America has ever had is freedom. And I know some of you say, well, I don't think we ought to get in there, and I don't think I'll just make this statement and we'll move on and agree to love each other. This world would be a lot darker place today were it not for the blood of American soldiers, men and women, all over this world. Be much darker. Of course, you can't get over World War II and the fountains and Man, I mean, you, you know, when you go to Washington, you think somebody had enough foresight. And I love this because I'm going to tell you, the, the liberals not going to take the Washington Monument away. They're not going to knock the scripture off of the buildings up there. They may try to do everything they can to drive God out. But I want to tell you, God is pretty secure in Washington, D.C. Now, that just proves you can live there and still not, uh, well, I, don't, I better hush. Uh, <laughs> 
Joshua says, look, guys, the river's still on a heap. I love that. Remember we said, I've, I've heaped corn before. I've heaped hay before. I've heaped even some wheat before uh, on a mission trip in Kansas. But I ain't never heaped water. I have never seen water heaped up. And yet here, the Jordan River is headwatered up. In flood stage, the water is heaped up. And Joshua said, while the, the Ark of the Covenant, representing the Lord Jesus Christ, is still down in the middle of that river, I want you to go down there and get one stone for every tribe, bring it back up here, and we're going to make a memorial with it. I just want to challenge you that today, whether you're married or single, whether you're a mom or dad or a grandparent or a great-grandparent, I think there are some stones I just want to just kind of run by us because I think they're important I think we need to leave a stone for our children to remind them to live like spiritual people live like spiritual people you see Israel had left Egypt now granted they should have been in the promised land in three days it took 40 years to get there some of that may have been God's problem because God fed up with them I'm sure I would think probably along about year 20 or so, somebody would say, well, look, we ain't, tried, we, ain't, we ain't done nothing else. Let's try it God's way. But God said everyone who's over 20 years old will die before anybody goes in there. So 40 years they've wandered in the wilderness. And now they literally, he's saying, I want you to teach our children to live victorious because we're not in Egypt anymore. We're not enslaved anymore. We're not in bondage anymore. Could I tell you as a child of God, we need to teach our children that too? That their mamas and daddy one day was on the road to destruction. They were enslaved, many of them by liquor or, or, or dope or drugs or, or lust or pornography. But Jesus has set us free. And we need to teach our children that they can be free. And plant that stone there. Now there's three stones under living a spiritual people. Because... Uh, you know, we look at each other and I say, oh, well, there's, a, uh, th there's Wes. Uh, God doesn't do that. God looks at the Spirit. We focus on the physical, but God focuses on the Spirit. So what three things? They all start with a W, so you can remember them real easy. Number one, we need to put a stone up for worship. My parents taught me the importance of worship and going to the house of God. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, i tell you what, our church was dead. Mine was too. The Baptist churches in the 70s were as dead as Queen Anne. I, 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 listen, some of you old people, you can verify this. If somebody had been raising their hands in one of our churches down there in East Texas, they'd have thrown them out. They did throw them out, a bunch of charismatics. <laughs> Don't you dare say amen or do anything. They taught me the importance of regular worship. I'll never forget the night that my granny passed away in Tig, Texas. Now, we were all supposed to be asleep. All the adults except one was down at the hospital. We knew she wasn't going to make it through the night. And, of course, we were all on pallets. There wasn't beds for nobody. So we were just on pallets. And when we saw the lights drive up, we knew granny had died. That was it. So we all acted like we was asleep. You know how that goes. My parents came in and said, 
Y'all get up, we're going home. Well, Corgan was a two-hour drive from Tig, but we went home. We went home on a Saturday night. We went home Sunday morning. Got there about 4 o'clock in the morning, 7.30. Time to get up for Sunday school. I said, my soul. All three of us started griping and complaining. Even the little younger one started griping and complaining. We, we, we just we got in at 4.30 this morning. And I remember my mama saying, God protected us. And we are not forsaking the house of God. Drug us out. <laughs> now, I don't want to get nasty here, but before you start condemning somebody saying, well, you know, my kids need rest. You need to think about that when they're in the dance team. When they're in the little league. I wander around out here and I see them lights on and kids playing at midnight. Hey, my soul, I know it's nobody from here. Because all our parents have their kids in bed by 8 o'clock from here. I mean, we can't have a revival that goes past 8 o'clock because our kids got to get in bed. <laughs> I've, told, I've told you this story before, but some of you have not heard it, so I'll tell it again. I was playing third base, Corrigan and Grofton. If there was anybody we hated more than Grofton, it would have been Dieball. My mama said, you can play until it's time to go to the revival. And I got out there, and I thought, she was saying, all right. She called me a different name than Charles. I tried to forget about those things when I got older. <laughs> she said, all right, it's time to go. And I thought, I get out on that field, you know. She can sit over there and holler all she wants to. She had the audacity to come out on that, on that baseball field, <laughs> grab me by the arm, and haul me out. And I, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't a happy camper. And Daddy was in the car. Daddy never said a word, you know. We, we just kind of went peacefully with him. But that afternoon, going to the revival, he said, uh, son, call me by another name, God help. <laughs> he said, uh, you know, you may have forgotten what God's done. I'd been in the hospital three different years in a row, and the doctor said, if he has pneumonia one more time, his lungs, he's not going to make it. You better protect it. He's not going to make it. He said, we, you may have forgotten what God's done, but your mama and I hadn't. And if you think we're going to sacrifice the house of God over a little league ball game, you got another thing coming. And drug me to church. <laughs> Amen? You know what they were doing? They were going out in the Jordan River, and they were getting a stone, and they were marking it in my life. They taught me that going to the house of the Lord to worship was important. I was... I, I, I can't find it now on my phone, but I'm a part of, I, don't, I won't even tell you the group because they're just ungodly. Uh, the, the problem in America today, folks, is preachers. I'll just be honest with you. I'm part of this preacher's group, and they're all young, reformed, and Baptist, and, 
you know, you know, and, and one of them asked a question yesterday. What is it that you used to have to do in your growing up life that is un- unscriptural? What did you have to do? You would not believe some of those pastors. Things like Sunday night service, that was unscriptural. Things like vacation Bible school, that's unscriptural. You know what they, nine out of ten of those preachers in that group, and I'm just in there just to see what they're saying. I don't belong in that group. I've never opened my mouth in that group. I'm just in the shadows. The number one thing they said they had to put up with growing up that's unscriptural is an invitation. Now, folks, that's preachers who are in our churches today. That's preachers. One of the biggest mistakes ever made, Jason's not in here, but he'll tell you. I was coaching Little League, but I got to the place I just didn't have time, so I was assistant coach. And we didn't play on Sunday, and we didn't practice on Wednesday night. But down in southeast Texas, when it starts raining, it could rain for four weeks in a row. And so ball games had been canceled and canceled, and, and the, the coach came over and said, Brother Hunt, we got a ball game tonight, and I know you don't do that. I said, that's right. He said, but if you don't let Jason come, we're going to have to forfeit. And I let him talk me into letting him go to that ball game. Now, that night, after I got along with God, I realized the problem I had, and I know you don't have this problem, but the problem I had was I was trying to get my son to be a good friend of mine rather than being a daddy to him. And guys, I want to tell you, son, they're going to have plenty of friends. But they only got one daddy. You need to be a daddy to him. They also taught me the importance of the work of God. Some of you old folk reminisce with me just for a moment. You go in this little foyer at the church, and there's a bulletin board. And it says, cutting the grass this month, the Hunt family. We all took turns cutting the grass. And on the other side was a bulletin board who was going to clean the bathrooms. You think your eight and nine-year-olds can't wash toilets out? You, listen, they can. Yeah, they can. You say, well, they're going to get water everywhere. I know that. And then give them a mop and show them how to mop. They taught me the importance of work. I know people say, we went to church every time the doors were open. We went to church when they wasn't open. Daddy had a key. Sometimes we just went out there and went in and say we'd been there. <laughs> every time we went, though, they were getting a stone, and they were marking it in my life that the house of God and the work of God is important. Now, that's not happening today. You say, preacher, how do you know it's not happening? Because the statistics show that more than 85% when our kids graduate and go into college, they drop out of church. Hmm. I pray that one day our children may rise up and call us blessed. That's what the Word of God says. Worship and work and then wealth. Wealth. 
They taught me about wealth. They taught me that you tithe. It's a simple formula. If you make $10, you uh, tithe $1. I started tithing as a shoeshine boy at Baker's Barber and Beauty Salon, Highway 59, Corrigan. I used to could shine shoes, buddy. That followed me when I went to the grocery stores, stocking groceries. That followed me all through my life that the tithe was important. I want to tell you what was probably more important than anything is I was looking through some of my aunt's stuff. And, oh, my soul, you talk about stuff. I, I saw what in her checkbook what meant the most to her. Even after she moved here 90 percent of the checks she wrote were to woodland hills baptist church 90 percent of them she loved the church she loved the new building and the concept of that i didn't know whether she was going to like this church or not because she came from first baptist church burn it where if anybody moved during the service you got exited but she she began to, it began to grow on her. <laughs> She'd sit right there where, uh, between Becky and, and uh, Brother Allen, and it began to grow on her. And as I rummaged through all of her stuff, I thought, you know, one of these days my kids are going to rummage through my stuff. They're going to go down to my shop, and they're going to find out all the stuff down there. Let me tell you what they're going to They're going to rummage through your stuff too. They're going to take all your underwear and put them in a bag <laughs> and carry them down to Goodwill. <laughs> Am I lying? Huh? You get ready for it because it's coming. It's coming. Mark 12, 30 says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray to God our kids would rummage through our things and say, boy, there's one thing about my daddy and mama. They love the Lord. Let me give you the second marker. We've got to hurry. Good gracious. We ought to put down a marker that we should live a separated life. Joshua says here, don't you live like the pagans. Don't you intermarry. Don't you intermingle. Don't you interact. Because I want to tell you something, folks. You hang around the wrong crowd, and you say, well, who is the wrong crowd? Anybody that ain't been saved. You say, well, Jesus dealt with the sinner. He didn't go home with them. Yes, we need to deal with sinners. Yes, we need to be nice. Yes, we need to be sharing Christ. But I want to tell you something. When you begin to hang around that wrong group, you'll begin to dress like them, look like them, act like them, talk like them, and think like them. You're thinking, our kids are thinking, I'm going to change them. No, you ain't. They're going to change you. Now, one out of a hundred doesn't work that way, but I'm telling you, the vast majority, it does. You won't make them like you. They'll make, them, they'll make you like them. And a lot of Christians today uh, are acting like the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, come out from among them and be you separate. Now, listen to me. I understand, that's not a call to be weird. It's not a call to be strange. Paul is not saying, come out and act like a weirdo. 
That's not what he's saying. He said, come out from among them and have a biblical worldview, understand what the Word of God teaches, and live a life according to the principles of the Word of God. That's what he's saying. And you want to know the biggest hindrance we've got in youth ministry and the biggest hindrance we've got in children's ministry? It's a thing called parents. It's the biggest barrier we face. We got kids over there this morning that are not ashamed of Jesus, but their parents are. Quiet down. We need some parents who will say, this is what we're going to do. Did your kids ever ask you, why, we, why, why, Daddy, why? You know, you get fed up with them, you know what you tell them. Because I said so. Now, that may not be the best explanation, but there's nothing wrong with it. We ought to live according to the Word of God. Why? Because God said so. He said, come out from among them. What this country was founded on, what our churches were founded on, what our colleges... Do you know 97% of the colleges today in America, all of these, Harvard, Yale, all those, those were preacher colleges. They were started to, to move the gospel forward. Now you can't find the gospel in one of them if you look for... It's what our homes were founded on. Now, just, just one quick lesson. I'm through. Do you know what an anonym is? Any of y'all know what an anonym is? What is an anonym? Caleb, you don't know what an anonym is? <laughs> an anonym is something that's opposite. Okay? It's opposite. Synonym is something like it, but an anonym is opposite. Now, let me ask you something. If you're trying to do something different, but you're doing it the same way as the world, you can't make two anonyms work. You either are going to be like the world, or you're going to be different and be like God. But you will never, listen to me, you will never be like the world and be like God at the same time. It's not going to happen. Can two walk together except they be agreed? What Amos says. There, there are plenty of other scriptures there. God has called us to be different from the world. He's called us to have some different practices. When this world goes into problems, first thing they do is start trying to figure out how to get out of it. Well, the first thing they start doing is try to blame who the problem is on. But when a child of God falls into problems, our first thing we ought to resort to is to fall on our face before God and pray and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? God's called us to have a biblical worldview. And let me tell you, if you'll have a biblical worldview, it will affect your church attendance. It will affect your modesty of how you dress. It will affect your language. It will affect everything about you if you'll get a biblical worldview. We need to put down some markers. Remember, it's not, not weird, not strange. Nobody's asking you kids or you young people to go back and wear leisure suits, no matter how good they were. <laughs> if y'all ever get in them leisure suits, it's kind of like overalls. I'm telling you, they're nice. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with a leisure suit. <laughs> on our marriage day, buddy, I had my leisure suit on. I guarantee you. Let me give you the last thing and I'm through. We ought to put a marker down to remind our children to live for a singular purpose. Singular. Joshua 4, 22. 
The Bible says, Then ye shall let your children know. Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. What Joshua was saying is you're going to come in contact with people, your kids, different one. You have a singular purpose in this life. He said, well, what is it? Your singular purpose in this life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be able to do that through your church. You ought to be able to do that through your home. You ought to be able to do it wherever you are. You need to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember bringing our children home uh, from the hospital. We prayed the same prayer over both of them. Lord, we'd love for them to live right here by us and have grandchildren for the rest of their life. We love that. Now, I'm not as hip on that prayer right now as I probably have been in years past but uh, no <laughs> no it's that group from Dallas brother I'll tell you uh, no we, we sat there and we prayed God but we also prayed Lord if you call him to a foreign mission field I'll drive him to the airport at Houston say goodbye Maybe never see him again in my life. And I'm not going to like it in the flesh. But God, he belongs to you. He belongs to you. That's what surrender's all about. I'll never forget the first night Jeremy came home. He had quit breathing two times in Becky's arms that day at Wadley Hospital in Texarkana. And so they said, you can take him home. I said, take him home. He quit breathing twice today. Oh, he'll get out of that. You take him home. We put him in our bedroom in a cradle. Neither one of us slept. When he'd go, we'd set up. The next night, we put him in his own room. Said, God, if you want him to live, you let him live. You say, that's cruel. Well, I'm trusting God. We need to live for a singular purpose. And... One of the things that maybe our kids could see would be how daddy and mama sacrificed some. uh, I'll never forget the time. Our kids were probably six and two, maybe maybe seven and three. Anyway, we were sitting at a table, and uh, we just had an evangelist at our church down in Port Natchez from uh, Louisiana. And uh, Jeremy said, where, where is he this week that we can, you know, pray for him? It was Brother Walsh. They lived in, in Louisiana. And uh, I, I looked up where they were. And, and he said, uh, Daddy, have you ever preached in Louisiana? I said, oh, yeah, I preached in Louisiana several times. Well, Daddy, w- w- would you move to Louisiana to pastor a church? I said, son, we ain't lost nothing in Louisiana. Now, if you're here, my wife's from Louisiana. She got out as fast as she could, but she's from there. And he said, Daddy, if God said go, would you go? Yeah. Yeah. If God said tomorrow, you leave Woodland Hills, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to like it. I'm going to try to every way I can to get out of it. 
But if God said go, I got to go. Because my purpose in life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, oh no, your purpose is to build a church. No, it had never been about building a church. Some of you understand that, some of you don't. But this church promised me when I came that we would become a kingdom-minded church. That meant we'd do missions anywhere, all over, as much as we possibly can. That means we'd do evangelism anywhere we could. We would not hold back money to do anything with missions and evangelism. And the same thing's going to be true with this building over here. We're not going to take money from missions and evangelism to build a building. The hymn writer said it best, and I'm through. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Let me ask you this morning, do you need to surrender to the Lord? Maybe you've been playing church. Maybe you've never been saved before in your life, and today you would say, Lord Jesus, before I can ever put down a marker, I need to get my own heart right with you. And I need to invite you into my life to take over my life. I want to tell you, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you right now, if God is knocking on your heart's door, today is the day that you need to be saved. Today. Maybe, though, this morning you say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but I'll be honest with you. My home's not really been surrendered to Jesus. We've been more interested in worldly things than we have spiritual things. But today, God has shown me that my kids and my grandkids are more important than a dollar or a retirement. And you may want to just come down to this altar and just kneel here. And if you can't kneel, you can just come down and stand and say, Lord, I surrender my family. I surrender. Maybe this morning you need to be a member of a local church. Can I tell you something this morning? We need you. Can I tell you something else? You need us. We all need each other. There's no one more valuable than anyone else. Somebody's going to have to rise up to take care of Miss Inez's shape, her, her position. Every one of us are important in this place. You need to be showing your children that you're going to plant yourself in a local New Testament church and you're going to live for the glory of God. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to come here. Thank you for what all has been done today. Lord, how we've been blessed in the music, the testimony. Lord, I pray the message here has spoken to hearts that, God, you would be honored and glorified. If we could leave this place saying maybe for the first time in our life we've been pleasing to the Lord, it would be a great victory. God, would you reach out and touch people right now? God, don't let there be a bashful time during this invitation. Lord, we're part of the family of God. People are going to rejoice when hearts are made right and souls are saved and people are reconciled together. Lord, nobody's going to be haughty. 
We're, we're all under your authority. We ask you to have your way now and then give people the courage to step out to a public invitation to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. What he's done for me, I'll never be able to repay. And I'm not ashamed of him. In Jesus' name. As Brother Aaron leads us, would you come right